Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 um, through 32. Um, we're we're going to finish this chapter today. And um, I, I'm going to read the verses. Then we're going to, we're gonna just, you know how we do, we're just going to walk line by line through this thing. Verse 25 says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, say falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. I like the word wrath. Don't let it go down on your wrath. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for the building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. If any of us are honest with ourselves as we read this passage, we would be honest with the fact that all of us are struggling systemically with something in this passage. Okay, you won't admit it. I'll put my hand up first. I, I, I am struggling with this passage. Currently, I ain't talking about, you know, usually people talk about B.C. days. You know, my B.C. days, then they act like they ain't got nothing else after that. Like, I've been good since 10, you know what I'm saying? But um, I'm, I'm, I'm in progress and process in my A.D. days. And if I'm honest with myself, I, 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 I'm struggling through what's, what's in this passage because, but because Paul talked about earlier, we talked about it in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 24, and we talked about the securing of our identity by God through Jesus Christ, and that we were saved by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone, and given the ability to, first off, we were imputed, that means God through Christ's death on the cross injected you with righteousness, amen somebody, he injected you with holiness, um, um, so you're not trying to be holy. You're already holy. You're just living in light of the holiness and righteousness that's already been given to you and been empowered to you by the Holy Spirit to live out. So you're not securing holiness. Christ on the cross secured it for you. All right? And so in light of that reality, we now get into the section where we get grimy and gritty with it. Because now he's beginning to talk about, uh, he's, he's talking about something not clever, but he's talking about messy Christianity. And he's talking about, oh, y'all looking at me funny, Christianity is messy. And, and, and he's calling them to commit to newness. Say commit to newness. That, that's, that's the title of the sermon today. Commit to, you, to, to newness. <laughs> that's our big overarching theme biblically today 
that, 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 that you're not trying to be new. You're just committing to the newness that's already been secured for you by Jesus Christ. That's very key to understand. The reason why I keep saying that is because you don't pull up yourself by your own bootstraps. You, again, I want to say it as much as possible because we're earners by nature. And because we're earners by nature, you got to tell people that want to earn stuff for, about the one who you can't earn anything from, but he has to get it for you, that you've been justified by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone, and you grow by what? Grace alone through grace, grace, uh, Christ alone through faith alone. And so right here in this passage, he begins to talk about four systemic issues that every believer deals with that gets in the way of their spiritual growth, that gets in the way of their ability to develop in the identity that they've been imputed with through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I got really one point and one point only, real simple. Um, uh, um, we live holy because we are new in Jesus. We live holy because we're new in Jesus. Verse 25, it says, therefore, so because of everything I said, he said, put away falsehood. I like that. Now, now what he's talking about is not merely lying with your mouth. He's talking about the whole of your identity in Jesus Christ. Whenever a believer decides that they're not going to walk in the identity that God secured for them through the cross, you become a liar. You're walking in falsehood. You're putting on faces because you are attempting to manufacture an identity that was already crucified on the cross. Hey, Y'all got quiet right there. And so, and so when you are trying to manufacture an identity that God hasn't given to you, you're walking in falsehood, and your phoniness is not based on holiness, because some people say holier than now, and we call that phoniness. But phoniness is if God saved you and transformed you from the inside out through Christ, then now you try to act like and be identified by sin. That's what it really means to be a false person. Then he gives particular, four particular areas that help us to understand what it looks like to walk in falsehood. Uh, um, this, this, this first area is interesting. We see it in the latter part of verse 25. It says, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. That means don't be phony. Don't be phony with people. Real simple. Do not be phony with people. You've been empowered to not be phony. That means that you got to deal with confrontation like Christ deals with confrontation. Uh, so that means you speak the truth with your neighbor, both truthful facts about where you are and where they are in your relationship or in a situation, whatever type of situation it is, but then also speaking the truth based on a biblical understanding of what truth is. Situations are facts, but the Bible is truth. Let me say that again. Situations are factual, but the Bible is truth. So the truth that you're speaking is based on the scriptures not based on you sharing your mind to air your laundry to somebody. Oh, we got quiet right there. So he says, speak the truth. Listen, he says, speak the truth with, uh, 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 let, uh, let each one of you, he's talking to us individually now. He ain't doing community now. He's doing individual. He said, all y'all lying jokers. He said, every one of y'all liars, including me. He says, speak the tr each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members with one another. Now, Every time you go through this section, you are going to see a subordinate clause. The subordinate clause is going to describe the reasoning behind why the larger prohibition or um, imperatible phrase is given. You tracking with me? 
So the imperative means the command, but this is why the command is given, which is a phrase describing why the command is given. You're going to see that each section in the past, real easily structured here for us to really get this. But now he's going to go into the thing that's really going to be the controlling, if you will, systemic issue that causes believers not to grow. He, he, he says something that, that, that's really a very, very difficult thing that all of us must deal with. And if every one of us is honest, we've dealt with it on both sides, but really one side of the equation. He says, be angry and do not sin. It's a lot of that. Be angry and do not sin. Now, when he says be angry, he says it's okay to be righteously angry. Righteous anger is that characteristic by God that because of sin, his holiness gets offended and he becomes angry towards the sin and the person committing the sin. Psalm 5, 5 says God hates all those who commit iniquity. So some people say God hates the sinner and hates the sin. That's not Psalm 5, 5. But here in this passage, it says that, that, that God, by his grace, he says, it's saying that be angry. It's okay to be angry. In other words, there's righteous indignation. But then it says, be angry, but do not sin. Now, what's interesting is when you sin because of anger, it's something that happened in the matrix of you. Now, what happened in the matrix of you? No anger is really because of people. No anger, if you're real honest about it, is because of situations. There's, there's, we're really angry at one person and one person only, God. The reason why we sin is because we're angry about something we wanted God to do, and he didn't do it, so we point it towards somebody else. In other words, we use people as the shrapnel because some of us are spiritual enough to, to say we, we, we don't, we, we don't want to say we're angry with God. So what we want to do is we point attacks on people and we sin against people because we're angry that God didn't do what we wanted him to do, how he wanted us to do it, and the timing that we wanted it done. So what happens is, is we get angry. And guess what happens when you get angry? You do what? Sin. When you are unrighteously angry. Now, where does that come from? Well, first off, let's deal with the issue of being angry with God. The, the, the first person in the Bible, human, that was angry with God was Cain. What, what, what happened with Cain? Cain? Your boy Cain came up, Big C came up, and he, you know what I'm saying, he, he said, he came with his brother Abel, he's like, he's, he brought his stuff to God, pat out. He looked away like, God is, I know this cool right here. And God, God rejected his sacrifice, but God accepted his brother's sacrifice. And what did he do? Cain got angry with God or his brother. But who did he take his anger out on? Anger, is, anger towards God always caused you to sin because God is never guilty. But anger towards God is holding him guilty of a sin he didn't commit. That, that, that's what anger, and so what happens is, is when you sin, guess what happens? Um, 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 you become something that the Bible will talk about in the rest of the passage. Um, it, 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 we'll talk about it later. But you, you're angry with someone and you're angry with God because you're not forgiving God and you've not forgiven someone else. Now, what happens is, is that anger, like Yoda said, 
Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to pain. I love that statement, right? But it's so true, right? <clears throat> what happens is you get angry with somebody because you're mad. Oh, you get mad with God because he didn't do what you wanted him to do. Then you point it towards people. But you have pointed it towards people, and then you don't forgive them. Then unforgiveness set alone ferments. That fermentation turns to bitterness. Hebrews chapter 12 said the root of bitterness sprouting up defiles many. So what happens is you, you plant bitterness in your soul, and it begins to grow a tree, and then everything in your life you see through the grid of bitterness. Everything. All your pain you see through bitterness. All, all of your hurt you see through bitterness. And bitterness is a booger because bitterness never sees you as wrong. Everybody else is wrong. And so what you do is you take your little unforgiveness and your little stench of unforgiveness. I remember when me and my wife was looking for a house. And, man, we were looking through houses, and that was back when nobody was doing nothing to their cribs because it was a buyer's market. So people were just leaving clothes and everything up in the crib, right? Furniture broke down, you know, toilets clogged with every kind of thing, right? So, I, so, I, so my, my, you know, me and my wife, I, you know, I go in the basement, you know, and I'm looking around, I'm like, dang, it got wood grain, but we can do something with this. Looking around, and then I said, man, this is an old school fridge. Man, I opened that junk, and all I heard was, <laughs> and all you smelled was the mold. Now, I, I consider myself a dude. But when I heard the rustling of the maggots and the fur of the, the, the food, see, I want you to feel it in the stench. I, I started booking. We say booking in D.C. I started booking upstairs, you know what I'm saying, tearing stuff up, knocking windows, you know what I'm saying? But, but that refrigerator represents a soul that has walked in unforgiveness. That a soul that walks in unforgiveness will make a mire of mess within it and will carry that vision of bitterness and read everything through that lens and hurt people and wound people and spiritualize it as if everything is okay with them and everything's okay with somebody else. But really, it's you that's dealing with the issue and God needs to work on you, but you're reading your bitterness on everybody else because you didn't deal with that issue, so you carried it here. You hit, you hit unforgiveness with somebody else. You carried it here and you've ran from you even though you thought you were ranting from others and what it does is it festers and 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 it loves community with unforgiveness bitterness loves the and, and what it does is all it does is, is it is it passionately pursues its own ends and it wants to hurt others see see beware of a wounded person who will not deal with wounds because oh, the wounded wound. That's why he says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, he's not just talking about <coughs> telling before nightfall. You know what I'm saying? But basically, it's saying don't go through seasons where you have undealt with issues by the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you just keep allowing cycles to go down, and you begin to brew and fester in your anger and bitterness and unforgiveness. And all of us have done it, me included. All of us have done it. He says, don't let the sun go down in your anger. Now, listen to what he says here. 
Now, this is the subordinate clause for this, this one. Check it out. In order, it's, it, he says in the subordinate clause here, he says, he says, and give no opportunity for the devil. Lord, have mercy. That's why, and I'm going to explain that in a second, but that's why it says in James, be slow to what? Be quick to hear, because bitter people do what? Klakadakoski. Klakadakoski. That's what you do. But see, but see, but see, what you do is you're slow to anger. Because one of God's characteristics is when Lord passed before Moses and held him in the cleft of the rock, he talked about his own character. And he said, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. If anybody has a right to be angry with everybody all the time and execute wrath, it's God. But the Bible says that God is slow to anger. That means it takes a while for his temperature to get to boiling. But some of us, we're so bitter, it doesn't take much because we have so much we haven't gotten over. Be slow to anger, quick to hear, and slow to run your mouth. That's what the Greek says. Esau sold his birthright, got angry at his brother, and tried to kill him. See how you do? When you're angry with God, guess what you do? You take it out on people. Oh, I got another example. Smooth David, the one we exalt so much. He put, he put um, God's ark on a new cart. And uh, I think it's 1 Chronicles 13, verses 1 through 11. Put it on a new cart, and, you know, he worshiping and dancing. He's like, oh, the Lord is good. The worst mercy do it forever. He getting his dance on, you know what I'm saying? He dancing and everything. And then the cart starts sliding off the ox's back. Now, Uzzah is following, you know, big Uzzah. So Uzzah just reaches out towards the cart. Now, Uzzah didn't touch the cart. He reached out towards it and went to sleep. Pow, pow. God killed him immediately. Now, the Bible says that David was angry with the Lord. How are you angry with the Lord and you didn't follow Numbers 8 and Numbers 11 and how the cart was supposed to be carried? So it's really your fault, but you're blaming God for responding how he's supposed to respond because you didn't do what you were supposed to do. And so it's very, very important for us to deal with this issue of anger and bitterness and unforgiveness, right? It says, and do not give the devil an opportunity. This is, a, this is an interesting word in the Greek. Say opportunity. Opportunity in the Greek means, it means a specified place of habitation. <laughs> it, now, you got to understand the context of Ephesians. We're talking about new identity. So the Bible already said we're seated with Christ. I mean, we're, we, we have the blessings of God in heavenly places in Christ, right? Now, in heavenly places. But then here it says, do not be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your wrath and do not give the devil an opportunity. In other words, when you walk in bitterness, anger and un, un, unrighteous anger, bitterness and unforgiveness, you create an atmosphere for the devil to thrive in your life. And the devil likes that atmosphere. He said, don't you smell something? Don't you smell something? I smell bitterness. And know what he does? He says, bring the U-Haul truck. And he let that join out, and he's not, he's not going to possess you, but he will oppress you. And what he will do is he will let you see everything out of the eyes of that bitterness, and then they'll load a truck, and he'll get a habitation in your life. 
And what you'll begin to do is he'll lie to you about stuff. And you'll believe it. Because bitterness has taught you to think the worst. Bitterness, because of, you don't think well of anybody because you're so hurt. And because of that, if the world is against you, it's just you walking with Jesus and nobody else. I wish somebody would hear me today. And, and, and what it will do is it will fool you into allowing yourself to be clamored by the devil's devices and you will be a tool of the enemy spreading bitterness, thinking you're being a blessing in who you interact with because everything you do, everything you say is out of bit, a, a bitterness. That's why some of our marriages are jacked up. That's why some of us, God won't give you a spouse yet. Because you have an environment that he wasn't, doesn't want you to start your marriage on. Because all you're going to do is take out your bitterness and anger on your spouse. Because the devil, the devil likes that habitation. He's a liar. And so he thrives in that environment. Let me see if I can make it plain. I got these um, things in my backyard called English ivy. I hate them. Hate them. Hate them. Hate them. Hate them. You, you, I don't know if you've ever seen them before. I don't know if you look at a picture of <coughs> like a castle in England, and you see these vines and kind of things going up the side of it, and, and it's kind of grow up the side of it. English ivy is like this annoying plant uh, thingy that, that before we move in our house, these people didn't do anything to our back fence. So the English ivy, what it does, it, it will climb everything. And it will consume everything and cover it. Everything it can do, it covers because it thrives. It thrives in clinging to hard stuff. It, it thrives in clinging to hard stuff. It doesn't need much soil, if any, and it just keeps grabbing. It doesn't need fertile ground. It's like a weed, and it just grows, and it just grows, and it just grows. But I, had, I hired somebody to come in. And what I needed to happen is I needed... Not only, I, I, I had to, I had to uh, get it, uh, cut all the vines cut off, all, all, all of the branches cut off, but I had to uproot it. But not only did we have to uproot it, the vines have to be hacked because vines feed the plant. That's what we have to do with our bitterness. So we got to uproot it. And we got to stop feeding it logs of anger. And so, and so this idea of giving the devil opportunity, this idea of giving the opportunity is walking in the riches of this bitterness that we think is rich for our lives, but it actually hacks away at the depth of our souls in the way that God wants to be, us to be identified in him by and walk in him by in order that lives may be transformed. And ultimately, bigger, in, in a bigger picture, our lives can be transformed by the truthfulness of the gospel. So how are you going to deal with your issue? You're going to continue to ignore it? Because some of y'all don't tell the truth to God in prayer. God, I bless you, God. I bless you right now in the mighty name of Jesus. I, I feel you, God, today. I, I, Abraham, Isaac, and shut up. Sometimes you need to get before God and say, God, I'm in a lot of pain. I'm hurting. God, I'm, I'm, I'm bruised by this situation and these people. Help me. Help me. Help me not to spread my bitterness to others. God, uproot this stuff. You need some, you better be honest with where you are because bitterness always makes you think nothing's wrong with you. Tell the truth to your soul, family. 
Tell the truth to your soul, family. Tell the truth to your soul so that these things won't be identified with us in walking in falsehood. Wish I had some help right now. Then he says, let the thief no longer steal. <laughs> let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. <coughs> this, this, is, this is very, very... <coughs> This is very, very interesting because in, them, in, 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 this, in this idea here, it's talking about people who covet. Coveting means unsatisfied with the blessings of God. That means you're never satisfied with how God blesses you. You always case in somebody else's life. So some of these people were thieves because they weren't patient enough to allow God to give them what they needed at that particular time. And so guess what their anger made them do? Steal. It's in the context. And God said, I want you to use your hands redemptively now. I want you to learn how to work hard. Now, we need that in our generation. We need that because most of us like to get paid a lot and do little. In other words, I got me a nice job. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? All I do is sit there, answer the phone, do a couple of things. When I'm finished my work, I can search the web. I can read my Bible. <laughs> so all of us, we don't value work. And you're not working here for your salvation. You're working from it. So that means he said doing honest work with your hands. God values hard work, and he values hard workers. Hallelujah, amen. I know this is too practical for you, but some of y'all need to want to work hard. Some of y'all need to be tired at the end of the day. Some of y'all tired from resting. Don't do nothing. Man, oh! Like, fam, what you been doing? You know. What? Like, help me. God is okay long as you trust him in your labor. He, he wants you, based on Psalm 127, not to have anxious toil. Oh, my God. But he wants you to have toil that comes from trusting him and believing that he will provide for you in your sleep. That's what the text says. But it comes, but you, you got to work hard under Jesus. So that means some, some of y'all looking for jobs, and y'all avoid the hard ones. Y'all look at the job description. Oh, no. Nah. Oh, no, nah, oh, no, nah. the devil is a liar. <laughs> See, if I get the job where I work hard, then I won't be able to be in community. You know, I won't be able to share my faith as much because I'll be so big. Shut up! <laughs> we, we need to be able to work hard. It's okay to work hard. It's biblical. And, 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 and all of y'all getting y'all degrees, go, it's okay to get you a hard job. A hard one. You know what I'm saying? It's just like when you're in school. Guess what you do? You find out who's teaching a certain math class or whatever class, and guess what you do? What he like? What he like when he teaches the class? How he be grading? <laughs> no, how? No, why? Who? Because you want to know who is always grading on the curve and who's the easiest person because we don't want to learn. We just want to get by. And the gospel calls you to development, not to distraction. And so we need to want to work hard because it's a part of our growth. It's a part of, your, it's a part of being an adult too, though. 
Some of y'all still like functioning on your own like you're in mom and dad's house. Man, it got real quiet on that one because we have extended adolescence. There's no such thing in the Bible as adolescence. It's childhood and it's adulthood. It's no in-between. Adolescence is a creation of Western culture to keep people who should be naturally and spiritually mature adults, children, in, a, in an adult body. I don't know, some of y'all are not old enough to know Baby Huey. Baby Huey, Baby Huey was a big old fat cat, right? This fat, and he, he, it was crazy. And he had on a diaper with a big safety pin in it. There's a cartoon. Bare feet walking around, big old, big old rusty joker, sucking his thumb and had a big old bottle of milk in his hand and somebody changing them big boo-boo diapers. And I'm saying that to say what? That's weird. It's weird for a, 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 a dog, dog, help me God, an adult to be functioning outside of your spiritual and physical age bracket. So he says, you got to be able to work hard. You got to grow. Some of y'all need to grow up. Get off mom and daddy's pocketbook. Starve them a little while. I know you need help, but get, let's get to work. Why? Why does he say? He gives a gospel-centered understanding of work. He says, so that you can share with others in need. See, most of us are thinking about the new outfit we want. We're not dreaming about how what God brings to me can flow through me. <laughs> you are a conduit. You are not a cistern or a well. You're, you're, you're a faucet. You are, you are built to be a faucet. That's why he says you, you're to give any. So that means that you need to construct your life to be a giver. See, I know we clap when we get money from the outside. But I want us to clap because we're self-supported. From the inside. That means all of us going to have to walk in godly Christianity. Godly Christianity and good Christianity makes you grow up. Anybody in your life that's not helping you to grow up, you need to fast from them. Some of y'all got, I didn't mean to say, listen, some of y'all got some enablers in your life that you're codependent on. That is facilitating your eternal adolescence when you were called to eternal life. And so, so we got to grow up. We can't rig our lives to be dependents. Oh, God, help me. But then he goes from there, and he says something beautiful. He says, let no corrupt talking, uh-oh, corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for the building up as fits the occasion that it may, that is, your words, may give grace to those who hear. That word there, uh, corrupting talk, is a word that means spoiled, rotten, like it's used to fish usually. I don't know, fish already stinks. If you go down in Chinatown, they got fish outside, it just stinks. But can you imagine like fish that got ooze on it? That's the sense of this word, rotten fish, right? Corrupting talk, talk that spoils the lives of other people. Talk that comes out of that bitterness. It's in the same context, that comes out of that bitterness that destroys the lives of other people. He said, but, 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 but you need to be building one another up. In other words, the word build up there means construction work. 
to help to help be you are supposed to be a spiritual general contractor for the souls of other people what does a general contractor do a general contractor oversees electrical work, oversees the, the, the plumbing, oversees foundational work. In other words, uh, the, the, the electrical, the, the contractor makes sure that what he or she is over is making sure that the construction is done right and is done well. That's what you're supposed to be, a great general contractor to help people. And you do it in three ways. Number one, you do it through exhortation. That means good, good. Everybody's supposed to preach to each other. You exhort other believers. Come on, bro. Let's get it. Spur one another on to love and good deeds. Come on, fam. How many applications you put in today? Um, um, uh, uh, hold on, bro. How you and your girl doing? Man, how you and your and, but loving them and not not just pointing out sin, but helping them to be carried out of it. Amen. Encouragement. That means sometimes you need to say something real, real nice to people. You know, you look. No, I don't say you look good. Cause some never mind. Say something else. Encourage, yeah, I, you know, because some of y'all is like, Pastor told me. <laughs> Tell you. Wow, wow, wow. I just want to encourage you in the Lord. Nah. <laughs> um, <laughs> encouraging someone, you need to lift people's heads. Your words need to lift the souls of others. Then sometimes you need to rebuke folk. Sometimes you need to tell people what they don't want to hear. Had one of the elders come to me this morning. Pastor, I want to tell you something you probably don't want to hear. That's the first thing that came out of his mouth. So I like people like that in my life. Even though I don't like when they're saying, I just want to just do something malicious to them. <laughs> malicious. But you know what? You need truth tellers in your life. Not people that pacify your immaturity. I got to move. Help me, God. I got 11 minutes. Oh, but this is second service. So I may go another hour. <laughs> I, I really want us to get this, though. I, I really want us to get this, man. I, because this is important. I'm, but I want you not to receive this as a moralistic pledge. In other words, you are empowered to already walk in this. So, so this is not stuff I'm telling you to drum up. Christ has empowered you to do it. Right? So you take courage in that. Right. But then he goes and he says, he says, interestingly, right after this, after he talks about, he says, as it fits the occasion. In other words, you need to be able to discern what people need to hear at a particular season in their life. So that you can see whether they need exhortation, because some of us rebuke when somebody needs encouragement. That means you're spiritually immature and you need to be slow to speak until you mature enough to be able to determine seasons. Ecclesiastes three. Right. So, so, so some of y'all don't know how to do none of it. So learn, shut up for like a season. Watch a lot. Watch, right? It says that it may give grace. That it may give grace to those who hear it. Does your words grace people? When the last time someone complimented you, whether you said something hard, encouraging, or just a basic challenge, not a rebuke of sin, but just an exhortation to, to push you along. How, <coughs> what, 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 what was the impact of that on their soul? But then he goes and he says, in the same context, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. That's kind of the summation of the passage is when we walk in falsehood, when we don't walk in the identity that the Holy Spirit applied to us at salvation 
through the blood of Christ and through regeneration, guess what he does? He gets grieved. Now, Isaiah 63.10 talks about the grief of the Holy Spirit over Israel. So, so it's not an alien idea in the Bible. But grief means to feel sorrowful. Um, grief here um, means to be offended or hurt by someone's actions. To be vexed or irritated or insulted by them. See, when the Holy Spirit looks at the investment of what he applied, because the Holy Spirit, remember, is the one that applied the divine life to us through Jesus Christ. The Father, remember chapter 1, he calls us, the Son redeems us, and the Holy Spirit applies it through sealing us. So when he looks at the investment of the cross in our lives, the resurrection, he gave you gifts, faith, talents, all this stuff he gave to you, and he looking at you walking outside of your identity, and he's comparing what you want to walk in compared to what he's prepared you to walk in. Ephesians 2.10, he gets grieved. Now, I believe sometimes the conviction of the Holy Spirit is the grief of the Holy Spirit. I believe that the Holy Spirit kind of gives us a... T I don't believe we can, because he's God. So his grief would be overwhelming if we experienced all of it. Do you understand what that means? Because he's from everlasting to everlasting. So his grief would permeate all who he is. However, however, we get the sense of grief when we're convicted by sin. I believe that. And when we're convicted by sin, it's not to condemn us because Christ is our expiation. He took away the guilt of sin. But the conviction of the Spirit is to help you to reject sin. So therefore, if you're not convicted of the Holy Spirit when you sin, be very afraid. Doesn't want to be, we shouldn't grieve the Holy Spirit. However, if you sin and you don't sense no grief, you're in trouble. Because either God handed you over because of your hardness or you're not his at all. Because God disciplines those who we love and we feel that discipline. And the hardest discipline for me is the conviction of the spirit. Because it keeps you up at night. And it's, it, that, that's what David means, my bones were aching. <laughs> my flesh was crawling. You ever hear David say that? He, he, mean, he means because of the conviction in my spirit from the Holy Spirit, it feels as if my body's breaking down. Help me, God. But then he goes, and then he says it again. Like, y'all think I'm making something up. Look at the next verse. Let all bitterness say all. Lord, have mercy. So he's summing it up. He says, okay, let's recap. Get all, deal with all your bitterness. I want you bitter, all of us bitter people, to in here together, all of us. I want you to track the root. I want you to track when you first got hurt that first time you got hurt. I want you to, I want you, whether you grew up in a horrible household, if you got raped, if you got molested, if you got abused physically through beating, if you got verbally abused, emotionally abused, if you had a bad church experience, if whatever it is, I want you to trace it back to its origin. Ask God to help you. Ask God to help you because he says, you, you can't just say, let all bitterness go. I, I, I command bitterness to go away and it's not going to work. Don't work like that. You got to trace the root. You got to trace the root all the way back 
to the original, this is counseling now. Go back to the original place of the root and up, ask God, God, I don't have the strength to pull this root out of the ground. I don't have the strength to pull this root out of the ground, God. Can you, God, help me to this root has taken, I mean, I can't believe how the veins of this root, I had a tree that we were getting rid of. And it would, the roots went down so big that we couldn't uproot it. We had to drill holes into the stump after it was cut down and put some stuff down there to kill it at its root. <clears throat> because the veins were going too down and was getting into foundation. You, where did your bitterness begin, family? Where in your life were you hurt and you haven't dealt with it and you've been, you've been taking your hurt out on everybody around you? Maybe you're walking in a situation of current unforgiveness of somebody and it hasn't yet fermented. It, the, the, see, the text says, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, that means stop running your mouth. Stop running your mouth. Shut your mouth. I'm going to say it louder. Shut your mouth. Clamoring everywhere and not going before God. Some of us talk too much to people and don't talk to God enough. We need to talk to him. Clamor comes from a lack of trust that God will deal with the issue because you're bitter. You're bitter. I'm not angry. I'm passionate. He's angry. No, I'm not. Passionate. Because I know what bitterness can do to you. I don't want to be an old stumpy old man with varicose veins sitting in a wheelchair and my sons want to only spend five minutes with me because of how much I'm going to recap the hatred that's in my life. You know people like that. I can only be with, with them for five minutes. People in my family like that. I pray for them and spend five minutes. Then when they start the, 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 the root, a bit of the, trying to defile me, I chuck the deuce. Pray for them. Pray for them. You know why? Because a clamoring person is a trustless and faithless person. But that's, that's not what God bought you for. He saved you to trust him and it's a relationship. So Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. Okay, so if it's a relationship, why are you not talking to the one you're in a relationship with? You better talk to your God. That's why Jesus died on the cross to open heaven for you. Take advantage of the throne of grace. And, and, and listen, I dealt with some anger this week. I'm talking, pastor talking about pastor. I was spending time contemplating with God, and I realized I was just angry about a whole bunch of stuff. I was like, where did this come from? And I could sense, sense like rage in me, where I began thinking violently towards people. And I, and I began to weep, and I said, God, what's wrong with me? I said, God, what's wrong with me? Save me from this. Save me from this. What is this, God? Uprooted years of stuff that God is dealing with in my life. I'm not talking to you at some righteous pedestal in ivory tower. I'm talking to you as somebody broken too. Go uproot it. Stop clamoring. Whenever you enjoy talking about the sins that were committed against you or perceived sins with somebody else, all the time you're bitter. 
If you just leak, it's a bite about you all the time. You're bitter. And you know what? Jesus ate the bitter herbs for you. He ate the bitter herbs for you. He, he drank the sour mix for you. That's what that represented when he went to the cross. He drank God's wrath. He drank your bitterness and anger against your brother. For you. you may never see them again. You may never have a practical relationship with them again. But the text commands this. <laughs> it says, be kind and tenderhearted towards one another. In other words, if somebody's name comes up and your heart just, God did not give you a hard heart. The Bible says he gave you a heart of flesh. Ezekiel 36, 27. 26. And so, and so, and so, and so, and so in light of that, I'm going to shut it down in a second. But, 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 but we need to, whether, whether you see them or not, whether you confront or not, whatever, but you need to deal with you. You can't deal with other people. You need to ask God to deal with you. Why? Because it, that's gospel-centered. Whether they go to the grave, God is still going to hold you accountable how you treated them in your heart even though they're in the grave. I'm done. Forgive them just as Christ has forgave you. Don't treat them according to their sin, and don't hold them accountable to, to atoning for their sin to you. Jesus Christ atoned for their sin, not you. Father, Um, we ask you, God, um, for your mercy. Um, because anger and bitterness is such a vicious weed. And Satan will use it as a tool to lie to us, to molest us. But I pray that you would help us through the power of the gospel to trace our roots, that we may uproot them and let you plant there forgiveness, peace, comfort, and freedom. Oh, God, we need you. Lord, give us a real relationship with you, practically. I know we, we have a relationship with you through Christ, but God, change us. Change us by your mercy. Help us to love, love even those who have hurt us the most deep. Whether we're with them or not with them, help us in our hearts to be softened towards you so that we can be softened towards them. God, we honor you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.